It is a pleasure to be here. I am Brian McPhail Fawzi. We are your missionaries to the country of Cameroon in West Africa. We're with Baptist Mid Missions, and our sending church is Faith Church in Linden, Michigan, over there. So just a couple hours to the east from here, um, although it's good to be over here in God's country of Battle Creek. So thank you for that. If you mind, wouldn't mind, would you turn your, in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter, uh, we'll start, we're going to start in chapter 1, we're going to move to chapter 2 in just a minute or so. So 1 Peter, but let's, uh, as you're turning, let's have a word of prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, it is, it is good uh, to be among brothers and sisters in Christ, and I want to thank you. I want to thank you for bringing us back here to this church, which has great meaning to us. It's a significance in our journey to Cameroon. Uh, I thank you for the friendship I have with, with Pastor Tom and Connie and with many within the congregation here. And I thank you for the faithfulness uh, of their prayers for us and their fellowship and, and the support they give us to be there in Cameroon. Uh, Lord, it's good to have a lifeline back home, and we thank you for that. As we look at your word today, Father, I pray that um, you would make your words clear to us today. Uh, Father, that the words I speak would be the words that you would like the congregation to hear. And Father, the words that I say that come from myself and not for you, let, let them not be heard. And to you be the glory in all things. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You know, so the book of, of 1 Peter. Uh, Peter wrote this book from Rome, which he called Babylon. It was a name in the New Testament that signifies wickedness. A name that had come to signify everything that was opposed to God. And certainly Rome lived up to that name. <clears throat> Systematic persecution of the Christians by Nero would arrive just a couple of years after this letter was written. And it was in that, that persecution that we believe that Peter and Paul were martyred for their faith in Christ. And from here, from Rome, Paul, Peter writes to the churches in Pontus, in Galatia, in Cappadocia, in Asia, in Bithynia, Countries that were to the east of Rome at the time. Countries where Christians themselves, they were in the midst of trials. They were in the midst of suffering. And they were in the midst of persecution for their faith in Jesus Christ. And his goal in writing was to encourage those who were in the midst of these trials. To encourage them to stay faithful. To encourage them to endure the trials to encourage them to guard and to keep their faith. And in the very first chapter, he reminds them that even in the midst of their suffering, they can still have joy. They can still rejoice. Right? Look at 1 Peter um, chapter 1, verse 6. It should also be on your handout notes there. <clears throat> Peter writes, In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. But the question, how could they have joy? How could they, have, how could they rejoice? How could they do this in the midst of trials, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of persecution? Well, let's just go back a few verses earlier and look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5 here. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, 
who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. They could have joy because this joy resulted from their enduring hope, from a living hope, from a certain hope, a hope that remained in the middle of trials, in the middle of suffering, and in the middle of persecution. They could have this joy because it was not based in a human hope, in a fading human hope, but in this certain hope of their salvation in Jesus Christ. And if we are in Jesus Christ, friends, we have this same hope. This is a certain hope. It cannot be corrupted. It cannot be taken from us. Even as Paul tells us in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8, that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. There is nothing that can separate us from our salvation. Even if we have trials, even if we have suffering, even if we have persecution, for a little while, at the end, it is certain that we will inherit eternal life with God. Our salvation is certain. Our joy is based in this certain hope. It is based in an enduring hope. It is based in the promises of a God who is faithful. Right? But Peter also tells us that this certain hope, this certain salvation, it, it's, it's created a separation. It's created a separation between us and between the world. This world is no longer our home. Several times in this book, Peter reminds us that we no longer belong to this world. We are exiles. We are pilgrims. We are voyagers. We are strangers. We are aliens here on earth. We no longer belong to the races or the peoples of the nations of this world or its entanglements. But that's not to say that we are pilgrims that don't belong anywhere or who wander without purpose. Rather, Peter reminds us that we have a higher calling and we have a higher purpose. And Peter goes on to encourage us to remain true to that higher calling and to that higher purpose. He reminds us that we have been transferred from the kingdom of the world to the kingdom of heaven. He reminds us that we have been made part of a peculiar group and that God has given this peculiar group a great mission. Look with me now, if you would, at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. <clears throat> Peter writes, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have been transferred from the kingdom of the world to the kingdom of of heaven. Look again at the last part of this verse. Of him, that's God, of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Okay. This image is often utilized in the Bible to contrast the righteousness of God with the wickedness of the world, or to contrast the truth with lies, or to contrast the kingdom of God with the kingdom of Satan. Just a few examples here in your notes. John 1, 4 and 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Or Acts 26, 18. To open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, 
that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Or finally, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So we have been taken. We have been taken. We have been transferred from darkness into light. We have been taken from the kingdom of Satan and placed in the kingdom of God. We have been liberated from the captivity to our sin to have the righteousness of God. We have been delivered from eternal separation and restored in a right relationship with God. So as concerns the world, in truth, we are pilgrims. We are voyagers. We are strangers on earth. We are free from its entanglements, free from its allegiances, free from its desires, and freed from its passions. But as concerns God, we now belong to his kingdom of light with new allegiance, with new desires, with new passions, and with new desires. And God has made us members of a peculiar group, members of his kingdom of light that he has formed into this peculiar group, an unusual group, an extraordinary group. See, when we lived in France for a few years or for a year studying language, right behind our house was one of the old Catholic pilgrim trails. And we would walk pieces of that from time to time. So when I think of a pilgrim, I often have this image of somebody who makes a solitary voyage. A person who walks with a stick in their hand and a pack on their back, searching for wisdom or searching for spiritual illumination. I don't often think of pilgrims as a group. And when I think of another term that the Bible calls us, when the Bible calls us citizens of heaven, sometimes I think of our American society in which we are a group of citizens, but in truth, we act individually. Each one does his own thing. Each one goes his own way. But in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter doesn't speak of individuals or of a group of people who act individually. The you here, it's plural. We are strangers, we are exiles, we are pilgrims, but we are not solitary acting individuals. We are not lone wolves who are out wandering the fields. Rather, he speaks of a peculiar group, a special group, a unified group. And note the various description he, he uses to describe this group, a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Each of these descriptions reveals a different aspect of this group, and each has a signification. A chosen race. A chosen race. And the word in Greek here for race carries the sense of descendants of the same genetic stock. Yet we know that Peter is writing to churches that are made up of both Jews and of Gentiles. So this race, this identity is something other than that of earth. Rather, in Christ, we are now of the same race. We are now of the same genetic stock. Perhaps perhaps this gives us the idea of, of a new creation, of being a new creation, or maybe it's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And we are a chosen race, a chosen people. 
Before all time, before the creation of the world, God chose us to be saved, to be a member of this chosen people. God chose us according to his will, according to his pleasure, and to accomplish his goals. Each of us here that belongs to Christ has been intentionally chosen by God. Each of us has a purpose, and each of us has a role to play in his plan as part of this special group. If you belong to Christ, you are not here by chance. If you belong to Christ, you are not a member of this church by chance. We are a chosen race. And then he goes on to say that we are a royal priesthood. We are all priests of the kingdom of heaven. And what is the role of a priest? Well, during the time of the Old Testament, the role of the priest was that of a mediator to help bring mankind closer to God, to dispense God's truth, his justice, his favor, his discipline. And you know that this role doesn't change for us in the New Testament. In fact, Peter has cited Exodus chapter 19, verse 6 here. Right? The very role that the nation of Israel played in God's plan is the same role that we play today. They were to be priests to attract the world to God, to help the world to be reconciled to God. And we are all priests to do the very same thing, to help reconcile the world to God. So we are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. And we are a holy nation. These are also the same words used by Exodus chapter 19, verse 6 a holy nation, a nation with an identity as a special people, a nation set apart, a nation separate, a nation different than any other nation in the world in its life, in its pursuit, and in its purpose for existence. And a holy nation also signifies a nation in which the people are truly holy, in which the people are righteous, and we know that when we were saved, that we were declared righteous, that we were declared holy. Yet this nation is also to strive to be truly holy, to grow and to demonstrate the character and the nature of God in our thought, in our attitude, and in our actions, right? to reflect the original image in which we were created. And this is in order to please God, and this is in order to demonstrate God to the world. Because, friends, the world comes to know our God by how we act and through us. So we are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. And we are a holy nation. And then Peter goes on to tell us that we are a people for his own possession. A people for his own possession. His precious possession a people that belong to God, that belong to God for his pleasure and for his purposes. In French, this reads, a peuple a qui, a peuple a qui, an acquired people. Yes, he has chosen us before all time, but we are an acquired people, acquired by the blood, acquired by the precious blood of his son, Jesus Christ. A people of great value, 
for which he has paid a great price. And so all of these descriptions, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, all describe what we call the church. I heard a couple of you saying it out there. Exactly, the church. The church is something very special. It is peculiar. It is extraordinary. It is unlike any other group in the world. And God called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He brought us into the kingdom of heaven. And God created this peculiar group, the church, to give it a grand task and to give it a grand mission. And what is this mission? Well, I can tell you what it's not. We are not called from darkness into his marvelous light just to be a social club where we can spend a little bit of time. We are not called from darkness into his marvelous light to seek a blessed life here on earth, to chase after our safety and security, or to procure our, our comfort and convenience. We're not called from darkness into his marvelous light to build grand edifices here on earth where we can fulfill some form of religious duty. And we're not called from darkness into his marvelous light simply or solely to be a charity organization to, to aid the poor and the marginalized. No. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, an acquired people. These descriptions show us that the church is something very special that has a reason for its existence. So let's look again at, at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. We're going to pick up on a couple of particular words here. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that, or so that, you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That, so that, that's the reason, that's the purpose, the objective for which God has called us from darkness into his marvelous light, so that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us. Here it is. This is our purpose. This is our objective. This is the reason for which God has created us. This is the reason for which he has saved us and why he has formed us into this special group. So that. But what does this mean? What, is, what does proclaim the excellencies mean? How should we understand this? Well, I want, to see how, I want us to see how God expresses this in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7. Again, this should be in your handout if you have that. Isaiah 43, 7. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, Catch that? Whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Then we come down just a few verses later, Isaiah 43, 21. The people whom I formed for myself, that they may declare my praise. So to proclaim the praises of God is to worship and to glorify God. That is the ultimate goal, and that is the reason for which he has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
It is the ultimate goal of God, his glory. All that he does, he does for his glory. And he has formed this special group, the church, to accomplish this goal. In fact, the church, his chosen people, is the sole human means in this age by which God accomplishes this goal. Look with me, if you would, in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. Ephesians 3.10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and to the authorities in the heavenly places. If you'll extend me just a little bit of liberty, I might read this to say, so that through the church, the manifold excellencies of God may be made known. And then we can come down to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21. Just a few verses further on, where it says to him, be glory in Kellogg's. No? To him be glory in the Republican Party. No. (laughs) To him, exactly, my friend, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And I hope that we understand this. The great God of the universe, he who created all, who is all-powerful, he who is all-knowing, he has entrusted this great task, this great mission to his church, to his chosen race, to his royal priesthood, to his holy nation, to his acquired people. And certainly God glorifies himself by other means. But among mankind, the church is the only means that he uses to glorify himself. This is our great commission purpose. This is our great commandment purpose. This is our priority purpose. This is our governing purpose. You know, but Peter expresses purpose in another way, as we've already seen, in another way other than to worship and to glorify God. He said, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of God, announce the excellencies of God, declare the excellencies of God, declare his moral excellence, declare his righteousness, declare his marvelous works, declare the excellence of his being, declare his son, Jesus Christ. Do not rest silent. Announce these things, declare these things. And when we announce these things, We worship God, and we glorify God. So there's an internal mission of the church in announcing these things. There's an internal mission in the church in worshiping and glorifying God. We're we're assembled here today exactly for that purpose, to proclaim these things, to worship and to glorify God. Us, the church, a group of pilgrims, a group of people, of a chosen race, of a royal priesthood, of a holy nation, an acquired people. We are here to worship and to glorify God. We are a royal priesthood and a holy nation that helps one another to have, to keep, and to restore a right relationship with God so that we can individually and corporately proclaim his excellencies. 
We are a royal priesthood and a holy nation that helps one another to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ so that we become more and more a true holy nation. That is to say, a people who resemble Christ more and more so that we can glorify God more and more. And in using the verb proclaim, Peter also indicates that there's an external mission. Our special group doesn't exist only for ourselves, to bless ourselves or to help ourselves. We have a mission as a royal priesthood and a holy nation to proclaim, to announce, to declare the excellencies of God to the world. Why? So that. So that God will be praised, that God will be worshipped and glorified throughout the world. So that more and more people will hear of Jesus Christ and his excellencies because proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ and his excellencies brings glory to God. So that the other elect, the other who have been chosen before all time, will be saved. God uses his church, his royal priesthood, to proclaim the gospel to save the other elect. So that... Those who are saved by our proclamation can proclaim the excellencies of him who called them from darkness into his marvelous light. And finally, so that they will go to the world and they will proclaim these things. And in so doing, they will bring glory to God and in so doing, they will fulfill their mission. Friends, the, the Christians in the time of Peter lived a difficult life in the middle of trials, in the middle of suffering, and in the middle of persecution because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And Peter encouraged them to remain faithful to the Lord, to remember this certain hope, and because of that, to guard their joy. And he encouraged them to remember their special call, who they were. They were chosen by God to be his royal priesthood and to be a holy nation. They were his special possession, They were his church. And he encouraged them in the midst of trials to accomplish their mission and to proclaim the excellencies of God to the world, to worship and glorify God, to bring light into a world of darkness, to live up to their special call and to their special purpose. In fact, we are here today because of those who took their mission seriously. We proclaim the excellencies of God because those who came before us proclaim them. We glorify God because they glorified God. And we are here because they accomplished their mission, because they lived up to their call. And the words of Peter, which are the words of God, are also for us today. We have a need to be reminded of who we are We are his chosen race, his royal priesthood, his holy nation, his acquired people. Brothers and sisters, we are his church. We have the need to be reminded of our mission to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us from darkness into his marvelous light. A mission to worship and to glorify God within the church and around the world. And as those to whom Peter wrote, If we belong to Christ, if we are faithful to our calling, friends, we're going to suffer. 
We're going to have trials. We will be persecuted because of our faith in Christ. And while such persecution is not common here in the United States at this time, we need to be certain these things will arrive. If we are faithful to our mission, these things will arrive. And when they arrive, we have a choice. We can accept them with joy, based in our certain hope, and be faithful to our special call and to our mission, or we can let them defeat us, and we can lose our joy, and we can fail in our mission. Yet, we, in truth, we also face the same choice if we are currently not in the midst of suffering or trials or persecution. You know, sometimes the lack of advancement of our church or the lack of advancement in our faith, it discourages us. And sometimes the lack, I'm sorry, sometimes the fear, sometimes the fear of what it means to truly surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, it paralyzes us from action. We fear for our safety and our security. We fear for our comfort and our convenience. Or perhaps the relentless pressure and threats of the world around us to conform wear us down. It seems sometimes it would just be easier to give in or at least to hide away from the world. Or perhaps simply the, the boring normality of life the normality of the daily routine that lulls us into apathy or lulls us into inaction. And in these cases, we have a choice. We can accept these things with joy. We can rise up and we can continue in our mission. Or we can let them defeat us. And we can lose our joy. And we can fail in our mission. And that's our question. And that's our challenge for today. Will we rise up to our calling Will we rise up to our mission? Or, and this isn't hard to see as we look around us, countless other churches and countless other Christians today, will we falter? Will we surrender to discouragement? Will we surrender to worldly pressure? Will we surrender to our own fears of what it means to truly follow Christ? Will we hide ourselves? Will we hide our light in a world of darkness? Or will we go to the world and proclaim the excellencies of God? That choice is before us. So it's my hope today that we don't lose our joy, that we don't forget our joy, that we don't forget to rejoice. Right? For our joy, as we said, is based in that certain hope, regardless of what is happening in the world around us. It is my hope today that we remind ourselves of why we have been called from darkness into his marvelous light. It is my hope for today that we deeply reflect on what it means that we are called a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his acquired people. And it is my hope today that we take seriously our calling, that we take seriously our mission to proclaim the praises, to proclaim the excellencies of God, to worship him and to glorify him, our priority purpose our governing purpose, our great commandment purpose, our great commission purpose. Friends, it's my hope today that we would choose to be his church.